You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Outdoor Edge introduces the all-new Razor Guide Pack. Coming in at 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the Razor Guide Pack has it all. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. Attention, if you're an eastern whitetail hunter with dreams of hunting elk, antelope, or mule deer out west, but are overwhelmed with the knowledge gap, look no further than Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class features professionally produced courses taught by the world's leading outdoor experts and can be consumed on your phone, computer, or TV. Visit OutdoorClass.com and start the process of making your hunting dreams come true. Use discount code EMPIRE20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. The truth on the Houndsman XP Podcast Network is fueled by joy. Joy Dog Food has been in business for many decades, since the 1940s. They've never had a recall. They only use 100% American-made products to bring you a dog food formula that is going to keep your hounds on their feet and performing at a high level. Late round bound, the next bear race, the next cat race, whatever you got going, Joy can keep your dog fueled up. I personally feed Joy for this reason. They are not afraid to get in the trenches and get in the fight. They will show up at a local meeting where people are trying to pass tethering laws or uh, breeders' bills or whatever and put their name on that and put their reputation on the line to support us. So find Joy Dog Food on the internet, find that dealer locator, find a dealer near you. Go to joydogfood.com and keep those hounds fueled by joy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Truth on the Houndsman XP Podcast Network. Today I'm lucky enough to be joined by my friend, my compatriot, and this weekend my roommate, <laughs> Mr. Stephen Green. Stephen, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Josh. All right, now we're out here. We're out here at the Pro Sport Truck Series uh, in Walterboro, South Carolina. And yesterday, if you go to the joy facebook page you can see the live coverage we're doing of the event and all that stuff and you told me during this live coverage uh i said how'd you get the nickname honey bun and you said it's a long story i see he said i'll get to it for this weekend's over when now's your chance steve i want to hear about it why they call you honey bun so <clears throat> i grew up deer dog hunting with my dad and my granddad 
we hunted in a club not far from here, Yemassee, off the side of 95. And we've always had dogs. And uh, my old man, for some reason, the last drive of the day, he'd make me sit on the truck. So we were sitting on the truck, and it was getting starting to get dark. And I heard some people come across the radio and said, uh, hey, Bubba, that was my dad, said, Bubba, your dogs are going to 95. So I knew he was way across there because mm-hmm. he traveled. I mean, he drove the woods as hard as any man that's ever lived. So he had just bought, a, I think it was a 1988 GMC Sierra. It was dark blue, four-wheel drive, long bed. <clears throat> and I got in a truck, and I went to go cut the dogs off. Well, you've seen the water and mm-hmm. mud that's down here this weekend. I got that truck bogged down in a mud hole. Well, I wasn't supposed to be driving it anyway. <laughs> I mean, I'm 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 13 years old, and uh, actually I was 12. I, w- I hadn't turned 13 yet, and I got that thing stuck. So I I'd seen them wedge logs and stuff under the tires, and you know get a mm-hmm. grip and pull them out. So there was a big old fat lighter stump over there. And that thing was probably as long as this table, and it cone-shaped. So I put the cone shape in up under the mud of the tire trying to get traction to get out of that mud hole because I already knew I was mm-hmm. in trouble, and I was going to take that beating anyway. And uh, <clears throat> so I got in there, and that thing had a 350 in it. And at that time, I didn't know what 350 was or mm-hmm. anything. I I didn't know it was that powerful. 88 GMC 350. That was one of the best motors ever made. Yeah, it was It was strong. Yeah. So I got on that thing, and uh, that tire started spinning, and it grabbed hold of that lighter knot, and it shot that lighter knot up through the bed of the truck, <laughs> went through the cab, busted the glass out, went through the front windshield, took the pillar, and separated it. And it's lucky it didn't kill me. It's lucky mm-hmm. it didn't go through the back of my head. I, I was just short enough to where it just missed yeah. me. <clears throat> so I sat there, and I, I was crying. I was crying like a baby because I knew I was fixing to get the worst whooping <laughs> of my life. So they came on the radio, and they were like, um, they called me Little Bubba back then. And they said, where are you at, Little Bubba? I wouldn't come on the radio. I wouldn't talk to nobody. I actually turned the radio off, and I just sat there. And uh, it was about an hour later, truck lights come up behind me. Well, <clears throat> it was my dad and Bert Lodeholt. They called Bert Lodeholt the mouth of the south. He lives over here in Early Branch. <laughs> and uh, he walked up there, and my old man was so mad he couldn't even talk. And Bert Lodeholt, there was a honey bun sitting on the dash of the truck. And Bert Lodeholt, being the person he is, he said, Bubba, you can't get mad at that boy. And Bubba said, what do you mean? He said, he just OD'd on a honey bun. <laughs> and that stuck with me all my life. And, and honestly and truly, I can tell you this. Most all of my friends that I consider true friends, you'll hear them call me bun. Most of them have shortened it up. Yeah. If somebody calls me by my name, they don't really know me. I'm just, you know, it's it's stuck with me that long. And it's just, 
when I have my feed store, that's what everybody called me, Bun, you know, uh, uncles. That's what they called me. That's just that was my name. I know, you know I've talked to a few people and I've said, Well, I'm with Steve Green or I just got a phone with Steve Green. They say, Who? I said, Stephen Green from out there, South Carolina. Oh oh Bun? And I that's I didn't know your nickname was Honeybun yeah. whenever we first talked, you know, yep. eight, ten months ago, a year ago, you know. I said, I don't know, I guess. He goes, Yeah, it's Honey Bun. Yeah. I said, Okay, well from now on you was Honey Bun and everybody called you yep. Honey Bun, so I called you Honey Bun. <laughs> that's right. I mean this this weekend, the people you see come up to me, that's what they you know. What'd, you, what'd your dad say? Uh, he didn't say nothing. I we went back. Um, we actually had uh, old school buses gutted out mm-hmm. on the club, and that's what we slept in. And we went back there that night, and I just I looked at the ceiling, and all I wanted to do was go home. Mm-hmm. I wanted my mama. Yeah, is what I wanted because I knew that was only going to be my saving grace. Because he still, I think, if he'd have put a whooping on me, he probably wouldn't have got off because mm-hmm. he was just so mad. But we drove home Monday. He bought, he went and bought another truck Monday. Uh, yeah, at Hampton, because he was originally from Hampton. Yeah, and uh, we drove home. He never said a word about it. He, you know, as a parent, and you may you're going to back me up on this, I'm sure. But when my kids screw up and they don't take it rough on themselves that's when they get in trouble yeah that's when they get a whooping that's when they're when they don't understand that they even done wrong and they don't think they done wrong and i know they did that's when they're in trouble yeah I, when, tr- I try to talk all my life my, my daughter i've never really had i could look at my daughter mm-hmm. and that was all it took um my son he's like me he's real strong-willed um, yeah so it took a little bit more for him but i always said that I, when I, if I had, if God blessed me with children, that I would just, you know, try to try to do better. And I always try to talk to my kids first, and I like for them to tell me, you know, hey, I did wrong, and they still know they're going to get disciplined. Yeah. But when they do it like that, that means to me that they they understand that they've done wrong, and they, let's let's try to you know grow from this experience. So, but back when I was a kid. I got my butt tore up regular. I mean, I was just that kid, you know. I mean, and it didn't hurt me. Yeah. It made me. It made me a man. Yeah. I don't hold it against my dad. I mean, he, you know, I'm sure everything that I got got for, I deserved every bit of it. I was blessed enough to be raised a good portion of my life by my grandparents, who had had eight kids of their own. Uh, my older brother, off and on, and foster kids, and I don't know. At one time, my grandma put like 13, 14 kids on a school bus. So I'd done seen all these kids get their butts. I was the youngest. I was the baby. And I got done seeing all these kids get their butt whooped every time they'd done something wrong. So I thought, well, I'm at least not going to get caught. <laughs> no, I didn't want no so, part of that. So I'd got a few whoopings every now and then, but you know, I tried to be good whenever I knew that that was the opportunity that I was going to get, you That's know, right. was a whooping. I thought, I'm just, these guys led by example. Now, my brother took them. My brother took several of them, but yeah. I looked around and thought, oh, I don't want none of that. That hurts. Yeah, I took a lot more than my brother did, but he yeah. was the baby, so. Yeah. See, talking about deer hunting back, deer hunting with dogs, and one thing I want to talk about on this podcast is we're out here, and uh, when we agreed to do the pro sport coverage and stuff like that, and I seen they were coming out to Walterboro, and it's a good haul from my house. It's an eighteen-hour trip. Uh, I've never been out here. It gives me an opportunity to see. I mean, I've been to South Carolina, but you know, you go to Charleston or you go to Myrtle Beach or something. That's not South Carolina. That's 
that's just that's where, commercial yeah that's where the tourists go you know i've been there multiple times and uh matter of fact if lauren's listening to this my cousin she goes oh i love south carolina and i like to look at the old plantation i said hey, south carolina i said south carolina's at this coon hunt we're getting ready to go to and that's what i want to see that's right but uh you know it gives me the opportunity to see a different area and a different style of hunting different dogs and stuff like that and that's one reason i want to do this with you of course is you've been out here doing this for how many years well i turned 50 in september and i've been doing it since i was a kid yeah um I've been blessed to hunt with some of the best in this state, some of the worst in this yeah. state. Uh, I've got to hunt pretty much every piece of terrain you could give me in this state, and we, we've got it all here. I mean, when you can go to mountains, you can go to rolling hills, sand hills, and then you're in this part, what we call the low country. Mm-hmm. The low country is my favorite place of the state just because of – you know the people the people are a little bit different down here um great people yes um great people and the hunting down here in the low country has been a tradition for i can't even tell you how many years i mean so going back to i started my 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 dad was a big deer dog hunter so was my grandfather and and they um you know they entered i was introduced into that and i absolutely love it um it's exciting it's great for kids um it's it's starting to die out a little bit in the state but we still have a lot of good dog clubs in the state of south carolina when you say dog clubs that's something because our western guys are big game guys and stuff they're not going to understand that a lot of our midwestern coon hunters and stuff you know there's no such thing as dog clubs where we're at so these are just straight up big leases just for deer dogs what yeah what it is is timber a lot of it's timber company land and a lot of it's privately owned farmland and um you lease from the timber company you know they have tens of thousands of acres Mm -hmm. which has dwindled down some um the club that we used to hunt in at in yemisee we had about 20 thousand consecutive acres yeah it was just one big old block of woods divided up by roads um and you know you get farmers and it actually helps the farmers because they'll lease it out you're helping them in a couple ways everybody knows the damage that deer do to crops farmers lose money and it also helps farmers pay taxes with those leases yeah so it's a win-win for you know a lot of it but that's pretty much when you say, you know, dog clubs, that's what they are. Yeah. And there are some of these dog clubs have been around for, I don't know, 60, 70 years. The farther you get east of the Mississippi, and I've been, I'm not a big fan of east of the Mississippi in most places. Now, there's pockets. Uh, to us, considering where we live, we got, I'm going to ballpark it, maybe 3,000 people in our county maybe in the surrounding counties probably about the same number i mean there just ain't no folks and when i get east of the mississippi and you look at you know the ohio's parts of indiana illinois where you're hunting at the world hunt it's just so crowded to us you know there's folks everywhere mm-hmm. uh but right here and i drove all this you know in the daylight i stopped in tennessee of course and visited with hoop and tater and then drove the rest and I thought, man it's just so many people so many people so many people then i get to walterboro and then i can see where you guys are hunting and I can see these big tracks of woods and things like that. And so that's, it's pretty country in a pretty 
you know, getting more crowded area, is that going to be a problem for these deer hunters? Because, you know, it's the same thing everywhere. There's, And I can't blame anybody for wanting to get out of the city. Uh, we've all been to those places, and we don't want to be there either. But, you know, they, these guys come up, and they, they're breaking these big chunks of ground up, you yeah. know, everywhere, Texas to home. Isn't they're doing the same thing here? Yeah, because the, the big thing for probably the last 10 years in this state that I've seen is – people buying five and ten acre tracks and they want to get away from the city and they have them what call them like a mini farm or whatever and that's uh so when they do sell these places at at 10 acres is more than one acre so they used to put 10 houses a house on each acre Mm -hmm. now they're putting one on 10 yeah so you're talking about you know so yeah it, it does it does affect the the ground we have in timber uh they cut a lot of timber in this state yep. a lot of timber and uh that affects it yeah the the hunting especially on the on the deer hunting side yeah what do those what do those dogs do i mean because you got cutovers everywhere you know it's a timber lease if you're hunting a timber lease i mean you just try to avoid those spots no, there ain't nothing actually, you can do about it actually your cutovers is where you where you want to be the one, because where the deer are. those deer bed up in there and um Yep, the uh, smaller pines, yeah. thicker, the thicker, the plantation type stuff. There's no cover for them. They're not going to be there. Really, they want to be where cover is. They want you know undergrowth, briars, protection. Yeah, and so cutovers are actually, if they grow up and you know if they cut it, it'll take three or four years for it to come back to start coming. About year four is perfect. Really, so a lot of these leases, you just want them to replant. Yeah, and replant quickly. So you can get that cut over and that growth start coming up because it'll hold more deer. We're gonna get let's get into the coon hunting here in a little bit, but before we do that, because deer dogs fascinate me and the deer hunting culture in the southeast fascinates me. Uh, I'm yet to be able to take part in any, any of it. Next time I'm out here, we're gonna line up a deer yeah. hunting. You're I'm gonna, gonna come. Go. You're gonna come to go. dog hunting with me this yeah. winter because I think it's gonna be. I, it always looked like it would just be an absolute blast. It is. You it's know? more fun than you ever dreamed. Yeah. So take me on your. It's. Thursday or Friday night, you're headed to your to your dog dog leash, your dog camp, and you're gonna stay Friday night, hunt Saturday morning. What's Saturday morning look like? So Saturday morning, you'll get there early, mm-hmm. real early, uh, and then you see how many people you have. You have standards, and you have dog men. Yeah, your standards they surround the block that you're running, and then you strategically put your dog packs so to run the deer out. Yeah, so <clears throat> they'll draw they'll they'll draw however many people's at the club they they figure out what drives they're going to hunt that day they try not to hunt we try not to hunt the same drives like only once a month really we don't try to over hunt it you know sometimes i have been in clubs where the land is smaller and we only hunt three saturdays out of four and never hunt and rotate right and that keeps your neighbors good too because that's one thing about dog hunting if you're steady in there pounding the same track of land every Saturday, mm-hmm. you get some upset neighbors. If you're only there one Saturday and they kind of know and they pat, you know, they're aware of it and it works better. And that's that's a big thing down here in the state of South Carolina is, you know, keeping your neighbors happy with dog hunting. And, and Garmin's really dog hunting would have probably been demolished down here. But Garmin's have basically saved it. Yeah, because we have more control. We know where they are. We can cut them off, keep them on our land, not off of other landowners. Because most places in this state, 
if there's a if there's a dog club right here, there's a steel hunting club probably on both sides. Right. And you know they they don't want you messing up their hunt, which is understandable. Um. So you you got to keep your neighbors happy down here with that. But Garmin's have really really helped us. If we'd have had Garmin's twenty years ago, dog hunting would still be as big as it is in the state of South Carolina. Yeah. It really would be. Um. So, but. You know, and then you, you you usually do two drives in the morning, break for lunch, and some clubs do two in the evening. I prefer the clubs that do one in the evening because about four o'clock, I'm ready to go home, be with yep. the family and yep. stuff, get everything put up. And but that's that's a typical day in the deer dog woods, um, and it's very it's very very kid friendly. Yep. A lot of kids really enjoy it because they don't have to sit up in a stand right they don't have to be quiet they can make noise yeah you know and it's just a, it's just a it's fun yeah it, it's a fun time for them so i really enjoy watching youth kids get into deer dog hunting starting out that um, that reminds me a lot of when i went to wisconsin bear hunting and just the amount of families that took part in that it wouldn't just be you know because don't get me wrong my kids coon hunt and they love their dogs and stuff but it's a monday night they got school on tuesday to have and so with that culture with starting these kids on deer dogs and stuff like that you look at a a gentleman like yourself that you said you was out there 12 years old with your daddy running deer dogs and stuff and coon dogs i assume was a natural transition for you yeah yeah um my uncles were uh big time coon hunters and you know I had to wait to a certain age to yeah. to play in the dark. But getting back, one thing I want to say: you talk about, you know, kids and families and stuff at the bear hunt. Our club, there's there's wives, mm-hmm. girlfriends, children. I'm talking about three and four and yep. five kids pile up in one truck, and we put them with dog men, and they just absolutely they'll sit yep. on that back of that dog box. They'll have a Red Rider BB gun shooting at deer coming across the road. I mean, it's just it's just fun, you yeah. know. And it's what, to me, I think a lot of kids need it. And we have boys and girls that do do it in our club. I mean, they just – the outdoors is good. It's, it's healthy for kids. It it's, is, especially now. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's, yeah. a hel- it's a healthy getaway for kids. It's no more important than it is right now in 2023 to get those kids into an outdoor sport. I agree. I absolutely agree. So, speaking of that, how'd you get into coon hunting? So, <clears throat> I um, I had uncles that that did it, and um, just started pleasure hunting at first, and uh, they didn't competition hunt much. They they were in a local the local coon club, uh, and but they didn't competition hunt a lot. And, and I had a friend, Tim Kirby. Um, he's a barber. Mm-hmm. up there where i live and uh i went over and got my hair cut when he said you ought to go to this hunt tonight with me so i got we packed up in the truck and went and i'm gonna tell you what i was bit from day one day one so i started competition hunting and uh, really it never looked back and uh but i i absolutely love the pleasure hunting side especially when i can uh like around me i i got tyler his son brenner uh, Brandon Kelly, Casey Kelly, James Taylor, and James Tool. That's our that's the, mm-hmm. our crowd. And I just love going pleasure hunting with those guys. They're younger than me, um, 
and I just enjoy it. It's it's something I enjoy doing. And then we go to hunts and stuff and, you know, hit one here. And I don't hit the hunts like I used to because I made a promise to my wife when my son was born that I was going to slow down. Yeah. And then most people can tell you I used to be at one every night somewhere. I'd be at one. And uh, so, yeah, that's how I kind of got started in the coon hunting, you know, just I got to an age where I was allowed to stay out, you know, get out of school and go. I could go till 10 or 11 mm-hmm. and get home as long as I got up and everything yeah. was right, you know. And So we did that, and I've just been doing it ever since. When you transition, because we all make that transition from pleasure hunter to competing, uh, when did you, was it right away that you wanted to go to a coon hunt? Were you reading about them in the magazines as a young kid, or was it something that you just kind of, worked your way into gradually yeah i never never did get the magazines when i was young it's like i said when i i went with tim up to a local hunt it was a pkc hunt pkc just started here in this state then which tim had tim kramer had a very big part in that yeah he's always you know had that for the state and but we went i went to that hunt with them and they told me to take bring my dog but i I said no i said i just want to go and spectate i want to see what it's all about and I got out there, and I was like, man, I was like, I could have I could have won this cast with my dog if I'd have brought it. You know, that's what I said to myself. <laughs> that's what everybody thinks, ain't I it? I <laughs> said that to myself. And um, so they had another local one next the next week. Back then, we only had – the clubs only had one a month. Yep. And we had a few clubs around there, so they had them strategically planned out where you could get go to one, one once a week, you know, once – didn't really have weekday hunts, hardly. Yeah. It's always a Friday or Saturday deal. But they had them spread out. We drew 30, 35 dogs, every one of them. Yeah. I mean, it was really competitive. Good dogs, too. And I went to my first one, and I actually won it. So and you weren't – you weren't you, – you were serious. Yeah. You said I could have won that cast, and you actually could have. Well, I said that I for don't like know, 10 years before I ever won one. I, I don't know if that was just me thinking that I could have yeah. won it. But I got – I went to my first one, and I won it. And then it was about 20 – straight that i lost yeah and i got humbled very quickly <laughs> about but i also noticed that i had a pleasure dog trying to compete with competition dogs so then i went on a mission to try to learn exactly what it took mm-hmm. to compete with these other these big time guys these guys that are winning and uh i'll never forget I went to the Sunshine Jamboree when it was in Thomasville the first time. That was maybe 90, 91. Um, and there was two or 300 dogs down there. And I drew out with my old pleasure dog. And uh, I mustered up a cast win. And I don't know how I did it. But, mm-hmm. uh, I, I was hunting against way more powerful dogs. The yeah. dogs that you see in the standings and stuff, you know. And uh, after that, I started looking for a dog, and my grandmother and my grandfather, they were the best to me. And my grandmom said, <laughs> You're all right. She said, She said, Boy, she said, You go find you a dog. She said, I don't care what it costs. And your granddad don't buy it for you. She said, because I think this is the best thing for you. 
So I went and I got me one. And I did some daggum winning with that sucker. And he died on me with kidney failure. And <clears throat> that old dog showed me what it took to compete. And <clears throat> I was very competitive after that. So there was a man named Charles Scott who lived in Lawrence. <clears throat> he was a, I guess you'd say he was a money man. And uh, he'd buy me and Tim whatever we wanted. And uh, we actually bought we actually bought Crank from Kurt Aaron. He he wanted Crank bad. The plot. Yeah, the plot. We owned we owned Crank, the big plot doll, which I'm sure he wasn't full blooded plot because he didn't he didn't move like yeah. one. He was a he was a he was a pretty bad outfit. But anyway, um, I I bought <clears throat> when Nick Alberson was getting out. I bought Sand Creek Squealer from him. I told Charles I said I want Squealer. She was nine years old then. But she was one of the most dominant cast winners I've ever seen in my life. I think she was deaf. She couldn't hear another yeah. dog. And she'd treat two or three coon around every other dog. And she just I just consistently showed up with her. And uh, I did a lot of winning with her and then we bought Trip My Trigger from Wyatt Wright, which we bought a couple we bought the rat dog and the ghost dog from Wyatt. And uh I hunted Trigger. I did a lot of winning with Trigger. Um, let's see. What was the name of the dog your grandma bought you? It was a dog called Diamond Sam. He actually won uh, that big uh, hunt out there with y'all, Battle of the Breeds, out of Oklahoma. The Truth on the Houndsman XP Podcast Network is proud to partner with Cajun Lights. Cajun Lights can outfit all of your hunting light needs, everything from the high-quality Rogaroo, super bright, super versatile. They've got a Bayou, which is a mid-range price light. And then one of my personal favorites is the Micro Gator. I use that for big game hunting, finding tracks, just uh, general use. If I need a light on my head, I'm grabbing my Micro Gator. I've looked for bear tracks in that thing, lion tracks, cat tracks, coon hunted with it, hog hunted with it at night. I've even used it to work on the plumbing in the house. Super bright, super dependable. Everything that LW sells down there is high quality and the customer service is second to none. Every week I'm getting notifications that they're adding new items to their store. They've got briar proof clothing coming out. They got a jacket out right now that's really nice. I put the vest through the paces this last bear season and coon season couldn't be happier with that i can't find anything there that i that i don't like and i like dealing with lw nixon and cajun lights so check them out you can go to houndsmanxp.com you can follow that link to cajun lights right from our website check them out folks he was he was a dog that was way before his time he was a road runner it took me a while to figure him out you cut that sucker and he'd be a mile in less than like five minutes and he'd be treed and what he would do is he'd go find a road and he'd road hunt and he'd just peel off this ditch mm-hmm. or peel off this creek or and <laughs> i tell you when I, I caught him that's the dog i took to uh plot days pkc plot days when i first time I ever drew scotty uh engel and uh up there and uh we cut him in this section and he peeled right back out down about 50 yards down the road and you could hear his 
toenails clopping the pavement. <laughs> and uh, somebody turned their light on him, and it was him. And he went right down there to the creek because we turned up the hill about a quarter. It was about a quarter from the creek. He went right there and treed about 25 yards off the road. And uh, that was when I figured out he, that's, that was his style. Yeah. And most people hated drawing him locally. They hated that because they knew they were going to get gutted. Yeah. He'd, he'd gut you. I mean, he just – he'd walk you to death. And uh, But he always had a coon when he parked every time. I never went to a tree – um, and he uh, he died a kid. His, he had renal failure, and uh, they think he got into some kind of chemical in yeah. the farm. Yep. Uh, and it, it cut his life a little bit short. But he was a heck of a hound. Um, but at, at about that time, I started seeing what it took, you know, to compete. You know, you needed a dog that treated coons yeah. fast. The more coons you scored in 120 minutes. What year was that? Uh. Maybe 90, 92. Okay, so 92. Then we're hunting. You said he was before his time. I mean, there's a dog right there. And just in, just I'm going to give him as an example. Uh, I wasn't competition hunting at all. I mean, I'd been I was local UKC hunting when I was 12, you know, but it was the same guys you pleasure hunted against, all good dogs. But uh, you said he was before his time. In 92, when you lined four dogs up and you cut them loose for two hours, I would venture to say nine out of ten casts, those dogs are on every single tree together. Well, this is this is when I when I hunted in. This is what I saw, and and a lot of it has to do with the type of terrain you're. Yeah, hunting. see, we were regional. I mean, this is just just a, yeah. I never hunted over fifty miles from my house at right. that point, you know. But that's what I remember. Even pleasure hunting, uh, you turn dogs loose. They treed together. Everybody yeah. argued about who treed it first, right. whether it was a coon hunt or a pleasure hunt, and then you went in and you done it again. Yeah. So they they best of my knowledge to to remember remembering this stuff. We'd have a couple dogs that would always pack up. Yeah. But then there was always one or two in that cast that would get off to themselves at some point. Right. Now, uh, in this country where I live. You've got to get a piece of it out of the truck, and then you want to recut and be by yourself, and that's how you win. So nothing's changed on that point. No. Because that's especially right here with pro sport. That's what hurts some of our dogs, you know, that are leash lock rule ready, is they're not quick enough. They're not going to cover that coon out of the truck. Sometimes they're not even going to stay if that coon, if they get covered out of the truck. And so you got you're treeing for a quarter out of the truck if you're treeing at all, even if you tree it because with rain, sand, con, dud. Well, not dud so much, but most of the stuff that we're hunting, you you take that quarter out of the pickup because you don't know if them dogs are going to be there, you know. And so that hurts in pro sport. Yeah, you know we've won a truck in pro sport and we've done well, but it wasn't because we were to you know it was just different. Right. But right now you're seeing more dogs that'll cover out of the truck maybe even cover off the recut a little bit and slide over there and get one by themselves and stuff like that. And that's the kind you said you wanted back then. And that's the kind I'd really like mm-hmm. to have now. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of, that's kind of what I try. Um, because most of the time, if you think about it, you're going to be hunting around your house. Yeah. So you want your dog to fit what you're hunting. Mm-hmm. If you're in big woods, he doesn't ever have to be with another right. dog. But as 
land shrinkage happens because we talked about earlier these houses subdivisions golf courses where i live there's either a horse farm a golf course or a subdivision everyone gripes about the deer hunters and the people moving in from the city but i'm i think we need to boycott the horse farm yeah them horse, them horse people are hard on us. they are they are they could they'll they'll, cl- they'll flatten some of the best timber you've yeah. ever seen not think yeah. twice about it but um so you know that's that's changed from me going to being able to hunt everywhere and having big blocks of wood yeah where i could i could hunt a dog that was consistently by itself and be okay but now i don't have that so if i'm hand picking the dog and drawing it drawing him up like i want to on paper i want him to and i don't care how he gets it if i can i want a hundred strike and whatever piece of that first tree i get i just want to be on the mm-hmm. positive side of mm-hmm. things all right and then i want to recut because i know i'm gonna hunt a dog that's going to be by himself yep. on a recut it's gonna get quiet and he can sink in there a half yeah three quarters and be by himself before anything can cover him and so now you've gone to these progressive tree rules which i absolutely like yep. whether i win or get beat on them i absolutely like them because that keeps the backpacker to cover it keeps him at, at bay is what i'm saying so well it's i want to touch on some rules and some where the sport's going as far as the competition side of it but last night we were talking on the live feed about the uh, oyster beds in the tide and i know it, it it's i don't think you understand how foreign that is to everybody from about i don't know 200 miles from here and west uh dogs getting their feet cut up in oyster beds how the tide affects the community i was fascinated by that last night when you were explaining to me that you want a high tide when you turn loose in these places and stuff so what when we're talking about oyster beds and the trouble that they give these dogs explain that to everybody so when the tide goes out it takes all the all the water out of these creeks uh and it pulls the moon pulls the tide out so they it's basically making it a dry bed so these oyster beds are up under here so these coons when that tide goes out there's king coons go out there then they crack them oysters and they feed on them oysters all right a dog gets out there and runs there's not a tree within miles and things mm-hmm. so a dog gets out there and that coon just runs around and it's called pluff mud it's all black mud it'll sink you up to your neck i mean it's terrible it's the worst stuff you've ever been in your life you think you die you're going to yeah. quicksand or something so the dogs get out there and they 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 have a hard time maneuvering in it and those coons just walk across the top of it mm-hmm. and they just run around in circles out there just just run them and run them and run them and run them um i don't know if you heard um fish last night you know he was talking about his dog stayed in the marsh two hours really yeah and had to go get it's because the tide was low so if the tide's high it pushes the coons back up on the land on these islands timbered dogs don't get out there they tree coons yeah so at eight o'clock last night it was dead low tide so those guys were hunting in the worst time of the tide that they could hunt on the marsh Mm -hmm. but the late round it was going to be high tide at one o'clock it was going to be perfect so a lot of guides down here they try to pick and choose their places and they'll stay away from that no matter how good it is they'll stay away from it 
during low tide. During low tide, yeah. and then when the tide's right, they'll go they'll go hunt that. So it's uh yeah it's it's something different, but yeah. And the, and the oyster beds with the crack shells and all that stuff, they're hard on the dog's feet. Oh, they're sharp said. as razor blades, bud. Really? Yes, sir. They'll cut a dog's feet up. They get infected because of all the algae and yeah. stuff on them. It'll just slice them open. Their feet will swell up big as my fist. I I had a dog one time that she she absolutely just I think she enjoyed it. Yeah. And uh, I would come down here and hunt, and it take me ten twenty days to get her healed up, soaking her in Epsom salt every day, and it it just yeah it's it's no good for them. Do they, some dogs naturally that that hunt in this terrain all the time just say look. I'm not getting in that fluff mode. Well, I'm gonna I'm tell they, can you they this. they just not help it? I'm gonna tell you this: they're not gonna help it because the coons are running out. Mm-hmm. There. But I'm gonna tell you what will help it: the man behind the leash. Yeah, he can make them stay from out there. Yeah, he can send them a text message and say, "Hey, get out of the marsh, get back yeah. up here on dry land." The coon, tree up here, trees are up here. It's no different than it's, our cornfield race. So it's training. Yeah. It's it's training. You want to train them. But I'm going to tell you something. Tim Kramer had a female called Swift Creek Ann. Strickland probably just told yeah, you about it. Yeah, we were just talking about her. We were just talking about Ann. Ann was the best at taking us taking two or three dogs in the marsh, leaving them in there, and then coming back up training a coon on you. She could take a coon, and, and she could take a coon out of the marsh and put him back on the yeah. dry land. She was one of the best I've ever seen. I've never seen one any better than I, it. I got a theory. The trader dog's feet are so terrible, and they flat, and they look like a muskrat foot. I think they would get in that fluff mode and be all right. Hey, <laughs> I think maybe nah, it'd be like may, snowshoes. They may, but I'm going to tell you what. Those oyster shells, they take no pity on any yeah. of them. I mean, it's like walking on razor blades. And, I mean, you get those oyster beds. They're bigger bigger around as this room in there. Really? Yes, sir. They're huge. Huh? Yeah. Well, and that just goes to show you, and, of course, this goes out. I think, uh, I don't know, I'm going to guess 30, 40 countries are listening to this podcast. And, of course, most of the United States. I don't know if we got any listeners in Hawaii or Alaska or not. We probably do. But there's such a variation in terrain. You're talking about shocking them out of the oyster beds and getting them out of there. And, and dogs can learn that, you know, with the right handler and stuff. And I, I was just picturing cornfield races in July when them, dog, them coons won't leave that corn. You get in them big cornfields, they ain't leaving it. Them dogs will run them things around and run them around. And I hate, I won't turn loose and stand in corn in the summer at home if I'm pleasure hunting. Now, if I want to, if I'm getting ready to go out to Indiana for the Labor Day Classic or something like that, and I know I'm going to be in those things, you know, I'll turn loose. But we, we buzz them out of them things all the time. Yeah. We don't want them in there. Yeah, bean fields are the same yeah. thing. They're, yeah. Yeah. You, you can't tree a coon in a cornfield or a bean no. field. No. And what makes a dog, and I think... You know, you talk to lion guys and you talk to big game guys and they want that dog that's just going to take that track. Because with a lion, say say Brett Vaughn's hunting hunting dry ground lions and there's one track. That's it. There's one track. He wants a dog to hit that track no matter how bad it is and finish it. And we don't want that. We have the luxury of having multiple tracks. And so we want our dogs to pick the tracks. You mm-hmm. know, it's a completely different situation. But these dogs that stay in them bean fields and stay in them oyster fields and stay in the corn fields or whatever, I think they're just that one track minded dog that, you know, you're going to have to do something with him or he's going to stay there until you catch him or he finally gets it caught or whatever. Yeah. And, and I can speak for the marsh. 
there's so many coons that feed out there in yeah. those marshes. There's there's a million tracks, so they never they never lose. It's always a hot track yeah, out there they got because that drive. because it's just about like it's like God ringing the dinner bell. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Free oysters, boys. <laughs> yeah, and they all come to the. That's where they go. I mean, as a guy like, that likes oysters, I'd be out there yes, too sir. if I was Me a coon. I love them. <laughs> One of my favorite foods, yeah. shrimp and oysters, is my favorite. Yeah. But that's that's basically what it is. It's it's no different than a deer feeder with a timer going yeah. off that goes click click click, and there's 15 coons sitting up around that little old feed plot. They come down, eat the corn, yeah. go back up. Same way with those coons. They go up. They sit up there in the sun during the day. Wait till that, the tide goes. Wait till that tide yeah. goes. Whether it's whether it's the middle of the day or if it's the middle of the night, and they're out there feeding. And I mean, you know, so it's a million hot tracks out there, and that's why dogs stay in the marsh because when they're running a track, they just run over top of yeah. another one, and it's just hot as the one to left, and they stay there. When we talk about different trains, different country, our end goal on the competition side of it is to be under more coons than the dogs next to you. That's it. I mean, bottom line is, and people can talk about, oh, it's a competition dog and ain't fun to pleasure hunt or it, it's it's just running wild and and it's barking too much and it's it's just a babbling idiot and all that stuff but at, in the end in most of these casts what people don't understand the dog that trees the most coons or is under the most coons whether it be covering treeing whatever is going to win 99 out of 100 of those casts no doubt and a lot of times the covering dog that gets a piece of mine, gets a piece of yours, yeah. gets a piece of the next guy's. When you tally it up after 120 minutes, he's got you beat. Yeah, and that's – there's folks – and don't get me wrong, I hate a dog that covers. I'm sure you do too, and most of these guys do too, but it's getting to the point now, and this is one of the points I wanted to get into, is we tailor-made – we tailor-make these dogs to rule sets. Mm-hmm. We have for years. Uh, we've done it ever since the – beginning of competition coon hunting and now with pro sport and ukc with no leash lock and pkc with a leash lock <laughs> you know those are the three made kennel clubs those are the ones that people are making a living off of we 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 can mold these dogs really quickly it doesn't take but a couple of generations or a guy with the checkbook to go find the right dog to win the right hunt and i tell you something too that i believe in the, the introduction of the garmin yeah has absolutely made that so much simpler because you're not you're you're not you're understanding more of what he's how he's moving around yeah and where he's at well you talked about your dog and, that was running the road and it took you a long time to figure out what he was yeah. doing you didn't know yeah. that in five minutes I didn't with it, yeah the first time i hunted yeah and it, he was just so good at it yeah he was really sneaky it was just that one night he slipped up yeah. and he let me know and uh yeah but i think I think that has a lot to play in the way we have these dogs, the rules. We're always going to try to have a dog that fits the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's been different. You know, there's been different rule changes, and most of them didn't work. And you always go back to how it was because it was right the first time on most occasions. Yep, I agree. Um, Except for the leash lock, I'm going to. I'm going to put yeah. my line in the sand. Yeah. <laughs> I wish the PKC would have left it off. Yeah, I, I, I agree to that because yeah. I mean, if you're paying to hunt, and and I've won, I've won by the leash lock, and I've I lost by the leash lock. I have to, and so I mean, it's a double edged sword with pretty much everybody. But real, and and being honest, if you're just being honest with yourself, 
you want that the dog and the dogs against you to be able to go because it's it's like this on the leash he's not going to make any mistakes yeah. but off the leash he's got that opportunity to go tree a slick get out of the pocket and you still have a better chance of winning yeah um you know so i i agree with you i like not having a leash lock i'm all for the not not the leash lock but i tell you one thing that i don't i don't like and i don't hunt as many hunts as i used to and i don't really have as big a voice in it or say so because a lot of guys that are hunting but i absolutely cannot stand when people try to make them up a rule to fit their dog at the time yep. of the dog they're hunting and then the next dog that they have they want to change it because it doesn't fit them yep. them yep like you see that all the time so i i really i really don't like that that part of it uh i i just wish you'd leave look rules alone yep and um i actually wanted to i think ukc does it right and that they change rules by vote one time every year I think uh, PKC should follow suit. I believe Pro Sports should as well as far as just have us. My proposal was you can only change a rule between October and October with a 100% unanimous vote from the national directors. It's the only time you can change it. In October at the World Hunt, all the national directors, they sit down, they vote on the rule changes, and a majority can change it then. That way it's had a year to sit in there, to see what's effective, see what isn't, and then if the members don't like it, then they can voice their opinions to the national directors. The national directors can vote on it once a year. If you bring a ballot measure up between October and October in the competition year, it's got to be unanimous. Yeah. If one person votes no, then it's not. Then it's a no. You know, I was I was reading over last night in between while we were waiting on Cass to come in from the early round to the late round. I was reading over pro sports rules just yeah. because it was just something for me to do, you know. And I, honestly, to me, they, their rules are right. Yeah, I think I, so. I didn't see one place where I would say, hey, that, that, that rule stinks. They need yeah. to change it. They, I think that the thing that they've done that most of the other kennel clubs don't, haven't done is they listen to people, and they listen to the right people and they establish those rules, and those rules work. Because honestly, and I'm going to say this, and I might get some flat slash back on it, but the the rules that they have are the old PKC rules, mm-hmm. basically. It's just it's cut and dry. There's yep. no – I mean, you know, it, it's right there, black and white. And the, the only thing with pro sport is you're going to walk a lot in some cases you're going to walk extra than you would in pkc uh and it's a it's the pkc style of hound and so it's going to kind of up the ante as opposed to a lot of little local ukc hunts where dogs are liable more liable to be together but as people and i see this going on this year there are more dogs that are in that first tree together we turned loose down at buffalo with that pro classic sixty five hundred dollar entry and we had four dogs on the same tree multiple times, you know, two, three times. And you never seen that two years ago. Right. Never seen it. But these guys are seeing with pro sport, these are the same guys that are hunting pro sport. They're seeing that these dogs have got to be treed. They got to get a piece of that first coon. Uh, you don't have the opportunity with someone that struck for a hundred and that trails around all night and to leash lock them because the dog that treed a coon for 150 may get a piece of your 200. Mm-hmm. 
and now you're screwed because you've trailed around for two hours you've treated for 200 that dog comes in for a quarter and a quarter and you're beat yep and so we just it takes a while for the dogs to evolve and for the handlers to evolve and stuff like that but in the end what we really want Stephen, in my opinion is dogs that are a pleasure to hunt through the week and that you can still go win a truck on the weekend or you can win a hundred thousand dollars on a weekend that's that's the end goal that is that is absolutely what it is it's you know i agree with you 100 percent because that's what i want yeah i mean it let's let's just put if i want to hunt during the week and then i get a wild hair and i say you know what they got a pro sport hunt down here in waterboro right here by right. i'm gonna give it a whirl you know and i can compete i feel yeah. like i can compete um that's what i'm looking for i mean I've got a dog right now that I feel I could compete anywhere with him. Now, do I? No, I don't. I, I don't because of family and I work for Joy and I work for another company and uh, family time. Yeah. So, you know, it's easier for me to be with my family till 10 o'clock at night and they go to bed and I go coon hunting yep. till daylight, come back home. And, uh, I get enjoy. I I enjoy that. Yep. And and I still enjoy the competitive side. I do. I I always will. Even when I can't go, I still I still keep up with it. I know who's hunting what. Mm-hmm. Um. I I love the competitive side of this sport. And um, this this weekend, I like I hunted the Grand American because it's just my thing. I've done it all my life. Um. But that weekend, I had two great casts. Probably two of the best casts I've had in years. Um, sportsmanship was out of this world. It was everybody was you know they did they did what they were supposed to. They yep. struck their dogs. They treated their dogs. Um, it was no arguing, no bickering. It was just enjoyable. Uh, you know, I see a lot of guys down here this weekend that I've known for years and years and years. And most of them, I've never had a crossword with any of them. Yeah. There's a few of them down down there that I have, but for the most part of it, you know, the competitiveness and the sportsmanship. And if you got a good dog, you don't have to pull all that crap, man. No, you don't. You don't have to. You don't have to be so extra. Just uh, strike and trim. Yeah. And uh, everything works itself out, but. For the most part, you know, I hear people always talking about they got cheated. You know, they hate competition hunting. It's really and truly, they they really didn't get cheated. It was two couple things. They needed a better dog or they needed to learn the rules or they're just not man enough to accept that they got beat. It's usually the third one. So It usually is. I mean, just to be honest, it's usually the third one. And if I get beat, if Josh Michaelis takes me behind the woodshed one night, I'm going to shake his hand because – he deserved it that night. So, I mean, you know, I think if we get more of that, and uh, that's just like Maynard. You know, I, I use Maynard. Maynard's always in a good mood, joking, mm-hmm. we cut up. That's the kind of stuff you like to go to a hunt. I mean, you know, it's camaraderie. Yeah. You know, yeah, everybody likes to win. If you weren't, you're in the wrong sport because it's competitive. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's probably as competitive as any sport out there. Yeah. I mean, night in and night out so there's two sides of it and you'll hear it right here just through all go through all the truth episodes where we talk about competition coonut and kurt was a was a fantastic example where he said you know i'm not your buddy for those two hours that's fine 
I'm not your buddy for those two hours either. Me you know, sometimes me I'll either. cut up and stuff like that. But it, I'm trying to win that cast. You know, I'm trying to win. But also, when that's over, congratulations yep. to the man that did win. Exactly. If I win, congratulations to me, and I'm glad I did. And it's all over. You know, and we may, we may get, and I don't get heated. You know, very rarely will I get heated. I'm sure you're the same way. But you'll you'll disagree during a cast age is taking care of a lot it of that does age, age takes care of most of it for everybody even finley has calmed down in a <laughs> cast <laughs> but uh you know and i see these young and hungry guys and i've drawn them and you know during those two hours i'm just like jay whiz this guy's doing this and this guy's doing that and you're griping but he's young and he's hungry and he's usually got a decent dog and he's doing the best to win with it and i kind of tip my hat to him too because you know i was there you were there yeah you see that that i'm here to win and i'm not here to make friends attitude and i respect that just as much as i do the the randy steadman that just comes and and competes and bicker and argue and make fun of you all night and then if he beats you he beats you and if he don't he had a good time Mm -hmm. anyway you know you respect all that there's both sides of it i drew a kid i drew a kid saturday night at the grand american and he was just like you said he had he was hunting a black dog and that dog he split every drop yeah looked amazing and at the end he he made a bad call Mm -hmm. and he flew off the handle you know he couldn't accept it yeah but um you know he's like you said he's just hungry and he's got a good dog and that's just competitiveness out of and you got to respect the fact that he got that dog ready yeah and he got that dog right I, I I did I did I, I I tried to talk to him a little bit afterwards, but he was so he was so hot yeah. that I was smart enough to know that it, you know he just needed to go on and drive back to wherever he came from, and maybe you know it would he would see it. But some of them do, and some of them don't. Yeah. Um. But there's a few. That I'll take don't. I'll take nothing from him that he was he was the dog to beat in that cast, even though my dog won it at the end. He was the dog to beat in that cast, and yeah. I I respected that young man because I knew he was hunting that dog hard, had him prepared for that hunt, and um, you know, it's like you said, they they're young and they're hungry, yeah. and I was there, I know it was, I was in his shoes, I was the same person, I was in his shoes, but it yeah. took me a little while to understand that you know I can't. If I make a mistake, it's on me. It's not. It's not the other three people in that cast. It was on me. And I remember one night, and I've told this story I think on the podcast. And uh, I was at a party on a Friday night, and ran my mouth, and some kid just beat me about half to death. <laughs> and I show up Saturday night to this coon hunt, and uh, the whole side of my face swelled up. I've still, I'm still concussed. I mean, this kid, and I had it coming. <laughs> he gave it to me, and I had it coming. And uh, I can't look up in a tree very long without blacking out. And so I kind of pulled some funny stuff. I'm 20 years old, 19, 20 years old. And I, I pulled some funny stuff on a couple of trees. And at the end of this hunt, uh, I was hunting a little dog, and she got split. And she's on a big maple. I know she's got a coon. Good dog. I'd got her ready, and I'd been hunting hard. And... Uh, I couldn't shine this tree 
in C straight or nothing. And I asked that guy that was handling it, and he said, I said, hey, you going to help me shine this tree? Because you shouldn't have messed up on that. He remembered that very first drop where I pulled some funny stuff. That's right. And I've drawn that guy a hundred times since then, and we've been friends ever since then. He just looked at me as this young, dumb, ignorant kid that didn't know no better, and he realized I've evolved and I've got better and I've become a better human being and a father and stuff like that, and that's how everybody is. Oh, yeah, no doubt. So, Absolutely. You're talking about your Grand American – and you're talking about you got a dog at home that competes. So tell us about Rube. Well, he's a uh, Murray Reagan bred, bred him. He's out of uh, Hatchie River Dottie and Main Street Drat. It's the uh, number one historical cross yep. in the English breed. And uh, <clears throat> the thing that I look the most for in a dog, and I'm not colorblind, I hunt any of them. I, I just, I like a winner. Yeah. But the thing that I look most, my number one thing is, is I don't look for mouth. I don't look to, I look for heart. They got to have heart. If, you know, I want a dog that when he, when he wants to give up, he doesn't give up on me. He's always giving me that opportunity, whether it be the last 10 minutes of the cast, to win a cast. So Rube is a, he's 150% heart. Yeah. I mean, this dog, when I got this dog, he had everything but COVID-19. He, uh, <laughs> he may have had that, That's too. what Michigan State wrote on the blood work. I did over $2,000 worth of blood work on that dog. Um, he couldn't even hold his head up, and he would still go treat you coons. That's how I knew that he would stay at my house till he died because that dog, I took him. There was no way in the world he felt like going, even going hunting. He loaded up in that dog box. We went, I turned him loose. He went out there and just fell treat. He never has done that since. He had a coon. I shot it out to him. I took him home and I said, oh boy. I said, man, you're going to get healthy. We're going to get well. And I said, then you're going to really show me what you're about. Mm -hmm. So I have a wonderful vet, Dr. Groover at Aiken Veterinary Clinic. Um, he's, he's actually from the Mississippi Delta bird dog man. And uh, he understands sporting dogs. And that's hard to find this day yeah. in the veterinarian world. They're all about lap dogs, and yeah. you know that's who pays their bills. So, and and yeah. you know, he understands it, and he actually, I mean, he and I text each other. If I have, I'll talk to him about what do you think about this, and he'll he'll lead me in the right direction. But anyway, so we got he and I got Rube straight. Rube's thyroid was at point five seven. So, <laughs> I'll give you a funny story. So. That was about the time that I came on with Joy. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was giving him Siloxane, Joy Dog Food, 2420, and clean water every day. He told me, he said, it's a must you give him fresh water every day. So I did that, and we went six weeks, six weeks, and had his first blood test. He was at 0.87. And he said, oh, he's, he's doing better. He said, but we're going to up the siloxine. And I said, 0.57 to 0.87, and you're, you're, you're looking at me and smiling and saying, he's doing better. Because I'm thinking he ain't yeah. doing no better. And uh, so it went about six months before he got me to come back in the next time. And we went in there, and he came back. He flings the door open, and he says, what are you giving us, dog? And I'm like, I feel like I've got a gun in yeah. to me. You know, he goes, I said, I ain't giving him nothing but joy dog food. 
Siloxane and fresh water. He said, nah. He said, you're giving him something. What are you giving him? I said, joy dog food, siloxane, fresh water. He said, uh, he said, you got a bag of joy dog food I can get? I can see. I said, yeah. I said, matter of fact, the feed store across the road here, I got it in there. So I went over there and got a bag. And he turns it over and he, re- I mean, he's studying it. Mm-hmm. It's just quiet there for 15, 20 minutes. He opens it up. He looks at it. He said, uh, can I have this bag of dog feed? I said, you sure can. Take $55 off my bill. I said, for 48 <laughs> And I didn't pay the bill. You know how much oh, the bill yeah. was? How much? $1,600. Oh, geez. I said, I tell you what, you sure can. I said, for $48, it's yours. He looked at me and said, what? I said, you just charged me $1,600. <laughs> and he said, okay. So anyway, he feeds Joy now. Yeah. And uh, he said he thinks that, because getting back to it, Rube's uh, thyroid was 3.45. And uh, he told me, he said, he, you know, all he could think is that the joy, the joy was formulated correctly. He was getting enough iodine mm-hmm. to suppress his thyroid and make his thyroid work. Because yeah. basically it just stops working when they get that low. So he just said it, it put it back in full gear and where it needed to be. So I, he told me, he said, take him off to Siloxane. I took him off to Siloxane, and to be honest with you, he – he was a 10 times better dog than he was. Yeah. Um, you know, and he really, he really started performing. So I took him to the grand American that, that first year. Kudos which, to your vet for telling you to take him off the siloxane. Yeah. Yeah. I, I not got very it. many of them will do. I've done that with two dogs now. I've got a great vet. He, he really is. Um, but I took him to the grand American that first year that I, that I had to work for joy. So I said, well, I'm going, I'm going to hunt. So I hunted him Friday night, and I got a cast win with him Friday night. Saturday night, I didn't go. I didn't hunt. Um, I went home. The next year I go, I get double cast wins. And then this year, Tyler hunted him. He uh, finished seventh Friday night, uh, 16th Saturday night, double cast wins. And we were fifth of the final four so just about i he was yeah. just there knocking on the door which we had a couple opportunities uh if you'd had a good handler fry, well no <laughs> and, and i'm just giving tyler i'm gonna tell you tyler did a wonderful job he does he yeah. did a wonderful job handling him um brenner's probably a better handler than tyler though <laughs> um just saying but anyway on friday night this goes back to sportsmanship friday night jt he hunts the no limit sniper dog. Yeah. James Thomas. On my last tree, Rube was split from his dog. And I had a big old nest and a cow's cock up there. And I'm thinking this this thing could have held a condor. Mm. It wasn't a squirrel bed. It was yeah. a, it was a it was huge. So JT saw the coon and me and the guide were standing out the paved road and we could see the coon. But Tyler and them didn't see the coon, so it got circled. So if I'd had that, if he'd got that coon plus, he did been in. in the top four. Saturday night, he had two like that. He had one in a pine tree that uh, Judge saw, the guide saw, and one of the other guys saw, but the other other two didn't see. So that would have got him in. And then he had another another tree that night that he had a coon in that two to two. Yeah. So and you know, but. I take I'll take it how it is. You know, it was it, every bit of it was honest. It was it was done great. Sportsmanship, like I said, was great. 
Um, so he's just a – I don't know. He's, I, I like him a lot, Josh. That's all that matters. I mean, I, I do. He just – he wins He wins more than he loses when he goes to hunts. Um, if he was run up and down the road, probably people, you know, would know more about him. Yeah. But uh, he's a full litter mate brother to Main Street Blue that Trevor Hack yep. and Grant Whitmer had. So he'd be Kraken's uncle. Um, he's got another litter mate out there in Mississippi. They, he's a Grand Night champion called Hollywood. They say I've never hunted with him, but they say he's a heck of a hound. But I've owned three dotty hounds. I won chrome, one off Chrome, one off Awesome, and then this one off of Jack. And the 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 three things that they had in similar they were different but the three things they had similar was their heart that's a, they all had that heart and we, uh, we were talking about it last night and i always said just give me all the heart and half the talent there you go and i'll beat your brakes off there you go and uh but he's uh he's a big old good athletic looking dog decent mouth you can walk walk to him for a mile mile and a half with hearing him um trees a lot of coons he uh he likes to party sometimes but he always winds up getting by himself a couple times so he's kind of a good mixture for me because i'm one of those guys now that i don't need him to be by himself all the time yeah i when i was younger i hunted a dog that was by himself all the time and um but now i'm smart enough to figure out that i'm better off getting a piece piece out of the truck one by myself and i'll win probably 50% 50% of my cast like that. Because Ronnie Bone always told me when I was a young and up there at Aurora one day, I blew a gasket, and he said, what's, it was in youth thing. Yeah. He said, what's wrong, son? And I told him, and he said, let me tell you what. He said, I, I'm hunting the winningest dog ever. And he said, if I win 50% of my cast, I'm, I'm doing great. Yeah. And I always remember that stuff. I always took stuff from people like him and just, you know, I, I didn't want I've never been one of those people that think I know it all you know I always listened whether it be you Tim Strickland you know I talked to Murray Reagan a lot um you know Ashley Ashley congratulations Ox, to Ashley Ashley Oxidine is my favorite dude I'm just gonna tell he's you he's one of my favorites he's my too. favorite person in the world I I just love sitting talking to him yeah I love being around him. He's just a good man. I've never, and I've met a lot of successful people, and most of them I just love to death, but Ashley's so humble, and he's so polite, and he's so nice to be around. And uh, what I love about Ashley, I think the most, is he's so proud of his dogs. He's just like that little kid that is his first coon dog just treat its first coon by itself you know ashley takes that mentality into these dogs winning at a high level you know and he likes them and you know kudos to him i'm glad he i'm glad he done well last night yeah he's he i always pull for ashley he's uh i don't know if a lot of people know but he's probably one of the hardest working human beings in the world um every time i talk to him he's working but i'm gonna tell you something that's that's even more He's he's a better dog man than most people would ever yeah. give him credit for, because I know personally I I've seen stuff that he's done to dogs that were in a spell and a yeah. rut, yeah. and Ashley can bring them back out there. He's just got that touch, yeah. 
And uh, I just think a lot of it's got to be of his nature. I think he's, it's. I think his dogs like him. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's I his, think his nature. Dogs like him. And uh, yeah, and I, I really, I'm really pulling for him to win this whole thing. I hope he does. He's he's my man. I'm I'm gonna pull for him to the end. Um, I hope him and Dottie bring that truck home, or maybe jump in the black dog. He'd probably be more proud with jumping the black dog. Yeah. <laughs> Because he's a hey, black dog man. Jacob was excited last he night was. about old Jumper. He was. He uh, j- jump, Jake, jumps, jumps done good yeah. with, with him. Jumps yeah. done really good. Is that dog's name Deuce? Is that his name's name? Deuce, yeah. Yep. That's right. Yep. The Labrador. The Lab. Deuce the Labrador. The Lab that hunts like a walker. Yep. That's yeah. his title. I know when Jake sat down with us on the <laughs> on the live feed, he was wound up, yeah. excited, and I was happy for him, Me too. too. He's a good dude. He is. So Really is. All right, Stephen. We got a lot of work to do this afternoon. It's going to be a long night. Uh, this is going to air on what is today? Saturday. So the results are going to be out by the time this airs. Go to the Joy. It'll be on the Joy Dog Food Events page, and you'll see all our live coverage, and you'll see kind of an inside look at the Pro Sport Truck Hunt. You're going to get to see the the Final Four covered live if you go on there and look at the live feed there too. So. You guys check it out. And, and Stephen, it's been a wonderful weekend. I love seeing your home state, and I yeah. love having you with me and doing the live coverage. It's nice to have another knowledgeable houndsman in the booth with me. Well, and, I don't know about knowledgeable, but I, I do want to say one more thing, um, Josh. I really appreciate what you've done with these podcasts. Thank you. Because I know you probably don't see it, but a lot of people get a lot of enjoyment, you know, because they've never had this with their sport yeah and, and and you know as well as i do coon hunters are die hard loving they love it they, they eat do. breathe and sleep it you have to to do what and, we do you and i just want to tell you that you do a great job and i appreciate it i appreciate you steven everything you do for me and for joy and uh wade and everybody appreciate it and i'm sure chris with houndsman xp will appreciate you sitting down with us just as well so let's uh shut this off and go to work huh Yep, let's do it. All right. Thank you for listening, ladies and gentlemen. This is The Truth on the Houndsman XP Podcast Network, and we will catch you next time.